Welcome to Livestream Sports. I'm Ross Brand. This is the place where we talk about the intersection of sports, broadcasting, and live streaming. And Livestream Sports is brought to you by Livestream Universe for everything live streaming. Check it out, LivestreamUniverse.com. My guest tonight is Marty McPadden. He's the host of the outstanding live stream show Behind the Scenes with Mark Rogers, where he talks all things live streaming and video and audio and really um, does a great job of answering people's questions and, and helping them with um, everything to do with uh, doing live video. And Marty has 18 years of TV production experience, including 12 years in, in management. He's worked for ESPN and now is the CEO of PodJam TV Productions. And uh, as I mentioned, also is active uh, on live stream platforms, mm -hmm. including Blab. And do you consider your show behind the scenes a live stream show or is it, you know, now something that you're recording and then dropping into to live stream channels? Uh, well, we definitely consider it live show um, and live streaming. I mean, live streaming, live video. I, I tend to use the word live video because um, all every, everything live is streaming. But but I we do it a little different way. So so I, since we're on Blab, a lot of people use Blab as a production platform. And what's great about it is it's allowed people that are beginners uh, and just getting into it that may be intimidated by, you know, maybe equipment you have to get to kind of get on and just start producing content. You know, a lot of people have great ideas. Will you take a little different approach since I come kind of from the TV world? So I take a, a TV production approach to it. And so I produce everything internally. So I have, I have, gear i have a tricaster switcher and all the fancy stuff you need and so i produce it internally uh when i bring mark in, i use skype so i bring him internally i actually record it here and then i distrib uh, distribute it out so blab is one of the channels that we use and before the drop-in we used to just use one of the windows so i'd use right. it like with i'm using wirecast as well to get my video 16 by 9 so i, I kind of squish it down so i get a little wider view and that's what I would do. And then when they had the drop-ins, which is great, uh, since one of the channels I, I distribute to is YouTube Live, I just drop in the YouTube Live and then still can interact with the chat, although there's a little delay. Mm -hmm. But at least we get now the big you know, window, the big video, HD quality. Everyone gets their own stream served up to them individually. And so that's our approach. But, yeah, I mean, live streaming, I mean, it's funny because, you know, I know we'll get into this a little bit, but... It's sort of, I think a lot of people think it started last year with the launch of Meerkat and Periscope. It actually goes back way further than that. In fact, there's a guy in the room, Stephen Haywood, who has a really long history in live streaming. He, you know, he started nine years ago, cobbled things together, Justin TV and all that. Uh, but I think since now we're able to do it from our phones, and I think that's right. for a lot of people. That's, that's about a year, right? That yeah. That, really well, even from your phone, it, it dated back earlier. So there were other apps like Quick, and there were other apps I even experimented with. But the problem you had is that the, 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 the technology wasn't ready. The data transmission speeds weren't there. So you didn't have the network. You didn't have the 4G. Right. Um, even the quality of the, of the, of the uh, cameras on the phone weren't all that good. No HD. Right. So really, everything kind of coalesced. And then you had Meerkat come out. And now you have the bandwidth, you have the phones. I mean, right. th this right here is not even the latest iPhone. It's an HD quality stream you can get off this thing. Uh, and then you have the access, right? So 4G is available almost everywhere. 
as long as you're playing, as long as you have enough data in your plan, but you can do some incredible things right there. So now it's become really popular. And now you're seeing people with really, really great ideas and, and things to say now have a platform to do it. Right, right. And for this type of show, talk show, interview show, that kind of thing, I actually think the fact that Blab is more geared towards web based broadcasting than than cell phone mm -hmm. is is actually probably an advantage i mean it would be awfully distracting if one of us were like sitting in a parked car and the other one were you know walking with their kids and you know <laughs> exactly. somebody else was at work calling it you know so uh, there is something to the to the web-based aspect of this but as soon as one of the more sophisticated mobile apps that are backed by a, a strong company replicates this mm -hmm. i think it's going to be hard to keep people from going there right because yeah. of the built-in audience and everything else yeah and you and you raise a really good point ross i mean the, the the web and the desktop is really my preferred way to stream because you know again i have all the gear at home i'm in my home studio here and that's where i'm most comfortable because i have all my stuff set up and and, and i prefer to produce that way um, but that's not necessarily going to be most people. And I think right. what, what the thing that Blab has done really well is it's given people a gateway uh, and to it, they've taken down that obstacle to get started. And I totally agree. I mean, Blab right now is really, you know, I mean, you got Google Hangouts, which a lot right. of people complain about. And I think with Google Hangouts, I think they've gotten a lot better, but I think the discovery is still an issue there. And yeah. what Blab has really done well, which is missing from a lot of different services, is the community aspect. In fact, when I, I first came out in the summer, I'm not sure how long you've been on, Ross, but I came out in the summer and I was amazed. I mean, uh, and I've met so many great people here and I say, wow, these guys really nailed it with the community because it made it really interesting to come on and have these conversations. And then the whole aspect of then people got, you know, came on and say, wait a minute. I got a show idea. I can actually do a show because I can bring people on. I don't have the equipment other than my computer. And now it's like, I don't need all this stuff. I can actually get on and get started. Right. You know, I, I, in fact, I talked about this recently in a show, or I think our last weekly show, about that's the big obstacle for people is just getting started. They talk and everyone, I got to get set up. and so. But I think there's two things, getting started and then kind of iterating as you go. So. Right. And it's it's totally democratized broadcasting for the average person. You no longer have to send a tape to a radio station or buy time or, you know, spend thousands of dollars producing an infomercial. Whether you want to talk about yourself, something that's a hobby or something that's a passion or you want to market your business or talk about your your area of subject matter expertise, you can now hop on and have conversations with multiple people and a whole community involved. And so that's that's the amazing thing that I I mean, and within like two days of finding Blab, I was like, oh, I love this. Yeah. I mean, I, it's been, you know, a long time since I wanted to do anything like broadcasting wise. And I'm just I'm just loving this. I mean, just for what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, what I'm starting to wonder and I've like booked some of my show, like one of my shows, I've booked all the way in, like guests all the way into November. So I, I'm like really committed. You're very prepared. <laughs> yeah. But I'm starting to wonder at what point, and I mean, this is sort of, maybe this is an uncomfortable area for people to discuss, maybe not, right? But are we heading with Blab that at some point you're going to be like the last person still using MySpace as their primary <laughs> platform? Not to get so negative, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, feel and, and like... Ross, I'm, 
I'm glad you brought that up. And that's just being a realist, really, because ultimately, you know, and I say this all the time, I, I, I me personally, I don't use Blab as a production platform because it's mm-hmm. just not fit, doesn't fit my workflow. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing, you know, and I think also a lot of people don't understand the complexity of building a platform like this, building it out. And, and I, fr- and frankly, if I'm going to give some constructive criticism to the Blab team, I think they could do a, a, a much better job communicating that because yes. I think they're, they have a lot of challenges that people don't realize, right? So I think that they have the platform. They should be doing a lot more town halls and really educating people about, okay, here's what we're kind of going through here, folks, and here's kind of a runway, and here's why it takes so long to roll features out or to make the improvements, or here's what we're doing, trying to tune the video because – I'll tell you right now, we're just two people in here, but you bring four people in, there's a lot of stuff going on because it's all peer-to-peer in browser. So there's a lot of stuff with bandwidth, with optimization. I mean, it'll make your head spin as far as what they have to do. And I know, and just even speaking with Fracon, the CTO, and and I know Sean's going through the same thing. I mean, they I could tell just by the, the, just a few times I've spoken to them one-on-one, I mean, he's like, he's got his hands full, you know? But I think right. that they could do a better job it's not a one-time thing, but I think it's a process of educating the users because a lot of passionate users on this platform, but okay, we hear you. Here's what we're dealing with. Be patient. They decided to do the, the beta in publics, which is a risky move. No question. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately you got, you know, users who are fans of the platform really have to cheer for them in the sense that they find a monetization, uh, you know, uh, method, you know, to monetize this platform because, Otherwise, it's very expensive to have it going, right? So you have to find, you know, either ads or some paid tiers or whatever, because someone's going to have to pay for it, you know, right. and and hopefully, you know, with the competition, I, frankly, I think that Facebook, you know, they're going to try it. I mean, you just know it because, I mean, they've introduced, they opened up their API. You can now screen, stream from the desktop. I'm using Wirecast and some other programs. Right. Um, it opens it up for major media companies, but it opens up for folks like us and even people that want to aspire to doing, you know, higher level productions. And I just think that once they went with the 60 by nine on Facebook, they could easily, I mean, other services do it. Firestock does it. There's other services that can do it. It's not. Facebook could buy the technology to do it. If you they know what? I mean, that right? could be, a. you never know. I mean, that could be a possibility. I mean, they might, I would imagine they would want to do it internally. I think they use live stream as their back end. Mm-hmm. Right, I would think right. they'd want to do it internally. And, you know, I, you know, Blab could be acquired just to kind of, you know, take one person, one team out of the, you know, one out of the competition. You know what I mean? So, well, here's my next question, which, you know, just came to me like the other night. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I swore the person who I brought this up to to privacy, like, you know, this is, this is going to get me in trouble to say this. But, um, you know, you know, YouTube is working on YouTube Connect, mm-hmm. which is going to be their sort of version of periscope or facebook live or what have you right to general analogy right yep. and then and then facebook is supposedly working on a camera app that that's going to be a combination of periscope and snapchat to get you to be messaging more and and just to get facebook to be your entire internet experience right mm-hmm. yep absolutely i'm um, not hearing anybody talking about replicating this so is that in and of itself the fact that it's been a while and there's no chatter and there's no, and I'm talking as like the most passionate person about Blab. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I mean, 
I, Blab is my by far my favorite social network out of any. So this isn't because I don't like Blab. This yep. is just looking at things realistically. Right. Are they saying that this isn't even really a threat? Like this, there isn't enough of an audience for this to even focus on it. That Snapchat is the threat. That mm -hmm. other live one to many broadcasting, um, showing my life, you know, yeah. real time. That kind of real time with the cell phone wherever I'm going is where it's at. And we're not even looking at this as competition. We don't even see that there's enough of a of an audience that it, it's a small community, and that's that's not where we're gonna. We're going to keep people in Google and in yeah. Facebook and in that realm. Is that is that an overreaction, or do you think that there's something to that? To what I no, came you know what, Ross? I mean, I think you, I think you, uh, it was a brilliant analysis of the whole situation because I think that's a question you have to ask. Because you look back at Google Hangouts, I mean, how long they they've been out since what 2011, 2010, maybe right. 2011 or Nobody 12 really or something. Tried to challenge that. That right, you know, they never you really to, pushed the development of it any further, right? Yeah, and you have to wonder why that is, right? Was it because uh, it wasn't a big number of people that were content creators that really wanted to use the platform? And then you come over to Blab, and frankly, I think that this style of live streaming is would be most attractive to people because you have another person there. In fact, I much prefer to do a co-hosted situation. I, I I give you all kinds of kudos in the world to do your shows you know, um, solo, even though you bring it on guests, but you're, it's all on you. And right. there's several, Jonathan Tripp does a, does a solo show every, every day in the morning. And I, and I give a lot of kudos to those folks, including you to do that, you know, solo show, bring it on guests. I think most people like the whole conversation piece because it takes the spot. I don't think a lot of people are comfortable on video. No, so, I'm not at all. I don't do any of the other video stuff. I mean, I mean this right. is this is basically '90s talk radio, right? I mean, except that we've got webcams and and a social aspect of it, right? Right. Which, right. You know, which may be another reason why is this going to pick up, or is this seen as just taking an old media format and sticking it into social? Yeah, and I mean, again, I, just, I say that as somebody who loves it, but who is yeah. realistically looking at is the market. Is this a step forward or a step backward in terms of where social media is you know, going? It's funny because I hear people talking about, oh, you know, live streaming is going to explode. And I think among a, a small cord of people that are not afraid, that that are, are naturally outgoing and have something to say and really like video, I think, yes, it's, it's, it's a really um, uh, good thing for them. You know, it's given them a platform. But I think that, you know, I mean, frankly, I think the numbers are still pretty small for Blab as far as a mass media or, you know, you, ha you have to be talking in the millions. I mean, Periscope has, I mean, at what, like 20 million maybe, which is still rather small compared to the overall, you know, a scope of social networks. I mean, certainly compared to Facebook and even Twitter and Snapchat, for that matter, they have hundreds of millions of users on their platforms. But I think the difference there is Twitter is text-based primarily, even though you can post mm -hmm. photos and video, so you can kind of hide behind the text. And Snapchat is, is really a messaging app. I know they have stories, but let's face it, I think the core <laughs> right. user base of that app are primarily um, messaging each other. In fact, I have nieces and nephews and my son and daughter we follow each other on Snapchat. I never see anything from them because I guarantee you, and I talked to my <laughs> nephews about it. They're not putting stories out. They're they're being pri They're having their own small little group, so they're doing their own thing. You know, well, it's right. us older people that are putting out our stories and this and that. Um, but I think that there's a small group. I think it's going to be a slow road to get people comfortable 
to come on video. I'm I'm not natural. I'm the only reason I do it is because I enjoy video production, and it's right. a way to talk about the subject and talk, you know, and build a business and things like that. But I mean, if I didn't have to do this, I mean, I would not necessarily be all. I mean, I like helping people and like talking about it. But right. I don't. I'm not one to. I don't do Periscope hardly at all. I'm very. I do a couple Snapchat. I'm not one to get on camera and just talk. I mean, it's just. Did you do any whatever. any on air stuff before you got into TV production? No, I mean, uh, uh, I was mainly behind the scenes. So at ESPN, I mean, I started as associate director um, in mass control. So I would work with uh, my main job. I started part time actually, and my main job there was to um, be a go between from mass control to the remote events. And so I would coordinate commercial roles and end the show traffic and things like that. Um, that was my first job. And then slowly got into management in that group. And that was a group that reported the programming of all, of all things. So I got to know the folks in programming. And then eventually we merged with um, production operations. And I became a supervisor in that group uh, for master control. And, um, and then I transferred probably for the last four years of my career there. I was with content edit which uh, their responsibility was um, and still is, is to edit um, for the studio shows in Bristol. So Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, um, any of the studio shows, um, they edit the highlights for that. Right. And my shift was primarily prime time. So I would be uh, in the trenches there with the editors um, every night, you know, and, um, and usually it was, you know, it's a fairly routine thing, except when you have a no hitter. Right, right. Uh, some breaking news, and uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, the live sports. I mean, it's, it's all live. Uh, it's basically live sports news. And uh, I'll tell you, if you ever have, I'll say this to folks: if you ever have the opportunity to um, be in a control room, a live control room, especially a news control room, it's an experience. And you would never believe that it even makes it. The the video makes it to your house with all the pandemonium that goes on, and literally, they plan these shows out by the <laughs> to the second. But they are literally producing the show in each commercial break, and they're moving stuff around all the time, depending on what's going on. And then they have to time it out right to the second to get off right on time at the top of the hour, bottom of the hour, or whatever. What, so it's, what amazes it's, me about ESPN and, and watching SportsCenter, whether mm -hmm. you like the personality or you don't like the personality of the person delivering it, whether you like their jokes or you think that it's stale or whatever, right? We can criticize their judgment or different yep. things, right? But the ability to get a highlight of a game that ended while they were on air and, gotta, and do those highlights. <laughs> I don't think people understand how yeah. complicated and difficult that is to do highlights where you've never seen them. I mean, I, I've seen people do a sports cast where they know every highlight yep. and, and they try and time it and hit it up and get their joke to go just like at the right <laughs> time and they can't do it, right? So yeah, imagine, it, I can't even imagine <laughs> how you do highlights you've never seen yeah. And, and and these guys are able to do that and work in their humor and, and whatever. I, I think it's amazing. I mean, I think the talent level for doing that, you, you got to be pretty cool under 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 fire to do that, right? You, you do. There's a secret to it, though, you know, and, I, and I'll kind of briefly bring kind of bring you through the process. I mean, yeah. the basic highlight you're talking probably the average highlight on Sports Center is about 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. And usually they call it a three play. So they usually do three plays, especially on a final. And unless it's a significant game, they'll go longer, right? Right. So 60-second um, highlight, three plays. They have what's called a shot sheet. So the editor will – and the well, actually, the editor works with the AP, with associate producer. And then they have highlight supervisor. There's a whole team. There's, there's about three people 
that work together on a one on one highlight. And it could take an hour or two hours easily to, to just kind of go through the process of one highlight. So an editor wow. in a particular eight hour shift might do oh they, they might do up to two games. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're with the once they get the game, they're with the game for the duration. So they watch the whole game they watch and the whole they game. log it, right? And yeah, they, well they have they an AP. The best, okay. Yeah, they'll they'll have a they'll have a, a P well and actually a PA, a production assistant. Their job will be to log the whole game and then they work with their with their highlight producer. Uh, and then they have highlight supervisors that sit. There's like this bullpen there, and they sit in the middle. Uh, wow. But they'll work with the editor. It's a three-person team, so the editor, the PA, and then the highlight supervisor. And they all work together um, to produce the highlight. And the AP, the AP or the PA, depending on who's working on it, will log the game, and will decide what highlight to pull out uh, and to put in the highlight. And it's a, a very structured format. And then at, once they get the highlight produced, say on a final highlight, they produce what's called a shot sheet. So the AP will be responsible for that. And they'll literally mark down, you know, what's in that highlight, a description, a visual, like a, a description in text, what the visual is. And then the last few words on the out so that the, the talent, it, it won't be in the prompter. It'll be they'll have a shot sheet. So when the when the highlight goes on, they know how long it is. The director's counting in their ear. And they know, okay, this plays, what's this? So they know what's coming up, each one. So that's why they can be pretty witty and describe it. So they know ahead of time what's in it. But they still have to be reactive. To what, so they, might, say, they may or may not be able to preview the actual video, mm-hmm. but they have to be reactive to what the Shotzi says. So they get really good. I mean, they have all their catchphrases and all that stuff. They get really good. And, and you're right, Ross. I mean, they are very talented. But they just they, they just take their their catchphrase. They they trust what's on the paper and they go exactly. with it. Okay, and exactly. when you say they're out, what do you what do you mean? Well, uh, to the freeze. So, so basically, at the okay. end of the highlight, they always have a video freeze as a safety. So it's like a like a ten second. It'll freeze. So they'll usually count out the highlight. You know, uh, within three seconds of the freeze. So they know the timing. So they'll hear it in their ear, and they know they got to wrap it up, and they and switch away. So that's right, it's just right. for timing purposes. They know how long each play is, how long they can be talking about it. And get how all much stuff talking in. goes on in their ear when they're doing this? Oh, uh, quite a bit. I mean, I I was a uh, associate director, and that's the one thing you know the intercom system. And when I first started, I didn't have any associate directing experience, and that was the one thing that I had the most trouble getting used to is listening to five hundred people in your ear at once. <laughs> Literally, that's what it sounds like. But after a while. You get to be. Able, you can switch in your head. Okay, this is the director at site. This is the producer. The the uh, CP might come in. The coordinating producer might come in. You know, the mass control operators yelling at you. The tape operators yelling. You know, I mean, it's and <laughs> you have, might have a, a raps control room intermediary. Right. That's that's you got to talk to. It's just part of the business, and then you just get used to switching the right. You know, and you have all these keys in front of you, and you just get used to hearing. You get see the thing is, you got also as the associate director and master. You have to let he have every listen key up, so you have to listen to everybody, and, and then the directors at site and in the control rooms will just keep their keys open, right? Because right. they're afraid that they're not going to be heard. So you just it's up to you to filter them out. I mean, it's just you just learn how to do that. Wow! Did you do live sport sporting events as well, or yeah, well, not games? on site. Uh, okay. I would I would primarily coordinate on, at the master control level or sometimes in the wraps room, basically in the control room that the wraps meaning those are the little in, in between moments where they come in and do a score update. That's called a wrap. So I would be sometimes I would be in the control room because that would be the best, best spot for me. And I would communicate with master and remote and, and help the control room coordinate that traffic. 
and lots of times I would end up just being in the mass control room and doing it over in the intercom. So yeah. my job was mainly just a traffic coordinator, basically a video traffic coordinator. So Jason Scott Smith asks, um, how often do you run into issues with the director not being heard and, and how do you handle that? Yeah, there's, uh, that happens, <laughs> you know, and you, it could be anybody's fault and, and listen, I mean, it, and the, the yelling, fl- it gets, it gets uh, intense. I've been in control rooms where people have almost come to blows. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, and it's just a real, I, and there's, it's funny because there are some CPs that are very, I've worked with one CP that was so like the, doing college, he was CP college football. He's, he's now he's, he's, big time in ESPN. He's, he's one of the heads of the radio division, but he's an intense guy. A couple of them that were intense on the production side. And it's like, I'll tell you, it's like being in the army. It's, inc- I mean, no, you have no idea right. <laughs> what goes on. I mean, it's crazy, you know, because <laughs> they're all, they're so, they're so wound up, you know? And, but, right. but once you do the production and it's at the end, you're on such a high. I mean, I remember working at night and it would take me 90 minutes just to calm down and go to bed. I mean, it was like imagine. the adrenaline is flowing. But it's that was my favorite part of being an ESPN. When I worked in control rooms, that was by more, way more than management. Management got a little corporate, but right. um, but the control room work was there's nothing like it. So Rachel Moore asks, how big of a staff are we talking for one for one broadcast? Uh, it really depends. I mean, Sports Center. I mean, a Sports Center control room. You have. I mean, you, you probably have a good ten, twelve people in the control room, and then you have the studio staff. So you have four or five cameras. You have a stage manager, uh, audio assist, uh, video shading. Um, so you're talking a good. Yeah, I mean, probably a good twenty people. And then, how much are the the guys who are who are doing the sports center who are on air? What are they hearing in their ear? Like from all that, what mm-hmm. it, what actually gets to them? Uh, mainly the producer. Mm-hmm. So that's their that mainly they're and mainly they're listening to one voice. So the direct the, the stage stage manager is mainly listening to the director. So the stage manager is is making sure that the talent is ready and looking at the right camera, even though they have tally lights and all that, looking at the right, right camera, making sure everything is good in the studio. Um, the producer is literally talking directly to the talent in their ear. And and especially with a live sports news show where you have breaking news, I mean, that's where they're getting the direction. Or if they're doing a live interview, they're saying wrap it up, this and that. And, right, and right. the talent's job is to make it look like they're not even hearing anything. Right, 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 and they do a good job. And some, and sometimes they'll, and sometimes they, oh, someone's talking to me. Especially in a very intense situation, sometimes you'll they'll let on that they're listening to the producer, but that's who's talking to them. So, just to put your your experience in context, like mm-hmm. what were the years? What was kind of like the big stories going on during during the time you were working on Sports oh, Center? God, um, well, I didn't work. To, you know, I I knew the guys. I knew a lot of the directors and producers that worked on this. I didn't work on that crew because I was in the mass control area. Right, right. But we mass control worked with everybody. You know, so that's mm-hmm. why I got to know a lot of these folks. Uh, I mean, I was I've been there for you know no hitters. And we used to call it's funny because we used to call it the, the ESPN curse. And most <laughs> of the time, what would happen is they would, it would, they would go through the fire drill. They get all set up. Okay. We're, and, and their agreement with Major League Baseball is they get to cut in on the last half inning if there's still right, a no hit because right. it's breaking news. Otherwise, they can't, they can only go to limited cut ins because there's all kinds of rights rules. But, but the part of their content, they can cut in. But you guys can cut in when there's a no hitter or something like in the last inning, half inning. Exactly. It's, if right. it's not our game, if it's right. on a regional sports network or Fox or any of the other networks, 
there's a reciprocal agreement that everyone could cut it, but only for the last half inning, last three outs. So we so would the local in. networks can cut in too then if they want. Or uh, no? Like I, the I local think, own, Yeah, like, I think they can. Well, the RSA, RSA but they just cut. never do because they're not going to preempt the local broadcast. So it's <laughs> right, and, and it's usually the, the RSNs in that area, the regional sports networks in that area, that are going to have the game anyways. So they're not likely the, the the local stations aren't likely to cut in because they're usually with network programming and they're gonna that, that's much more financially beneficial than to stay with that they're not gonna cut right, in for right. that but ESPN will and Fo- now Fox will and, and NBC and CBS both have sports digital sports networks so they'll probably cut in too but it would always happen we we would cut in we would get all set up and go right. through the fire drill okay we're gonna and then sometimes it wouldn't even make it sometimes you'd be in the bottom of the eighth inning or the or the top of the ninth you know if it's a home team <laughs> and they would they would break it up and so whatever right. you know so you so we cut in right sure enough as soon as we cut in it's like the first pitch boom it's like done okay we're done with that that's the espn curse you know but it's just funny it's like i mean it's 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 cool because you get to i mean if you like sports it was a great place to work you know and uh, that's when it got was fun because you're kind of part of the news gathering part and it was it was neat so what talent did you work with oh my god i mean we would know you know yeah, uh, Stuart Scott, who just passed away. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I met him. Um, oh, I mean, Boomer, you know, um, uh, Chris Berman. I mean, you always knew when he was in the building. I met several <laughs> athletes. I mean, it's funny because the talent, I mean, uh, uh, Steve Levy, would, uh, especially when I was in edit, because they would come in. And, they, in fact, um, they had a segment that they started there. I think they still do. They do a top ten that's, that's – um, viewer you know it's 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 uh um what's the word uh they use social media to uh determine what the top 10 is right so they the plans of the day or whatever yeah the top so 10. yeah use a general you know and and they outfitted one of the uh edit rooms as in, so they put lighting in there so they can bring do a remote in there so they can bring the talent in there and they say okay here's our top 10 here the, you know joe the editor is working on it and right and when they go to those shots in fact i think they still do it that's actually one of the edit rooms i think that's that's edit room two or three it's along the side though i remember when they when they outfitted it um but but the talent would come in and do those things so we we talked to the talent and the thing is that they're just colleagues i mean and right. even when when we meet cele- a lot of celebrities come through there and every day you just get used to it you know i've met right, um right. Bon, john bon jovi i've met garth brooks i mean garth brooks was great he was um he was probably the most down-to-earth celebrity i ever met when i was there mm. uh you would never know the guy was garth brooks i mean he was more interested in what was going on in mass control and learning about it and just, just a total nice guy. John Bon Jovi could care less, you know, <laughs> but anyways, but, <laughs> but, but a lot, met a lot of athletes. Um, um, and, and it's just, they become colleagues. They're just, right, you right. see them in the hall. Hi, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just that kind of atmosphere there. I mean, when you, I can tell when new people start, it's about a week of, Ooh, you know, but then it wears off very, very quickly because it's just work, you know, and that's right, the right. kind of the non glamorous part of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people see the outside, but it's it's a job, you know. Right, That's right. Really what it is? Who who of the you know the big personalities that that you encountered was say least like they are on TV? Like you'd be surprised, like when when they turn when the TV camera goes off, they're nothing like what their personality is. Uh, on boy, that's a good. I mean, Steve Levy's kind of quiet. Uh, he's outgoing on there. I mean. Oh man. I mean, boom. I mean, again, they're all, 
they all put on a show, you know? Right, right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of them are, you know? I mean, even like, I, I remember when I was there and they had a set right in the newsroom where the edit rooms are and they were running out of space. So they actually had to put a rap set, right? And, you, and you, people watching this being have seen it when they when you see that set and they i'm not sure if they still use it they might because they're in the newer studio they're in the new digital center now but um they used to have a set right in that where the edit rooms are and they would have talent sitting there and they would be waiting to go on doing their cut-ins and they were just kind of sitting back on their phones social media so, and, and then they would come on and they would just come to life you know and do their thing and sit back and I, yeah it's like again they're actors you know, right, right. I think, you know, and they're putting on a show. And, and I think also the other thing was um, the chemistry part of it. Right. When I first started there, they had um, and I don't know, people in the audience might not remember, but um, Keith Oberman, uh, which I think a lot of people know, he was um, he did the 11 o'clock sports center with Dan Patrick. And both of them are no longer there now. Dan Patrick does his own digital sh- radio show now, I think, from Connecticut. I think he is in Milford, Connecticut, uh, it, it, close to me. And then Keith Overman's, I think, has been to every network, and he's actually come <laughs> back to ESPN. He's 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 a little bit too um, out there for that, you know. I I like him. I think he stirs things up. I like that, you know. Right. But when him and Patrick did the eleven o'clock from Bristol, I think I think that was the best team. I mean, uh, after that, and that was early in my career. Did they get along off the air as well as they oh yeah, oh, on the sure. air? I, oh yeah, you know, you've heard stuff. Anybody who's you know, basically alive has heard stories that Overman's very difficult to work with. And, but he and Patrick had an amazing chemistry on the air. Yeah. I, I think it was more about, I think Overman was more about the brass at ESPN, you know, the mm-hmm. executive brass and the kind of the production heads of production and things like that. They were kind of butt heads a little bit because he, he wanted to get out there and, and Dan Patrick, you know, they did have great chemistry. You know, I think generally, I think they, they liked each other, you know, but I think, um, I think oh, the past few years, I haven't seen a lot of that. You know, I think that that's kind of the old, good old days. I think they switch up too much. And I think I see a lot of talent come through there. Now they don't have an opportunity to really develop a personality. You know, I think, you right. know, even Stuart Scott, I, I think he was one of the last ones, there that really had a you know personality that you, he knew all those catchphrases and and he was great you know um yeah. but you know i mean i guess chris berman you know is the last one he's still there right and, right you know, he's got all the catchphrases he does football he's very famous for the home run derby he goes back 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 when you hit the <laughs> hit the ball out of park right but i think that's the big challenge now is so much con- there's not that personality you know i mean right right it's like the, there was that sort of group of people that were, were all came in at the same time. They were all very young. Yeah. And they, it's amazing how many of them have stayed yeah. and just slowly moved into other positions. And it seems like that group has never really yielded to like another up and coming group or another group of new personalities, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny you should say that, Ross, uh, because. <laughs> When, when ESPN first started in 1979, they were started out as just going to be a local network, cable network. And cable was very new back then. Uh, and they were their mission was to cover Connecticut high school and college sports. That was it. Hmm. A guy they named Bill Rasmussen. Than that, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was started by a guy named they, uh, Bill Rasmussen uh, and his son. 
They started, and then early on, they got an investment from Getty Oil of all places. That was the first major investor, and wow. that was their whole thing. And early on, they would they didn't have the content, so they would show like anything that was cast off from anybody else. So like Australian rules football was big. <laughs> You know, curling, you know, or whatever they could, or like, or like local softball, you know, they would show that, right? Uh, that was very early on. The big breakout, and I'll tell you, was when they discovered that, wait a minute, you mean we can put up a satellite dish? What's this satellite stuff? And so right, when they, right. when they discovered that in the place they're in Bristol, the reason why they chose that place was they had a good sideline to the southern sky and they made a deal with the town. To say, okay, across the street, we you can't build anything tall because it's going to block right. our view. And they got this deal done. They got all kinds of tax breaks. And then they kind of built from there. And once they discovered that they can use the satellite and get it 24 hours, they said, wait a minute. We don't have to stop at Connecticut. This could be a national network. And then the big breakthrough came is when they got football. When the NFL, right. when they got NFL. And I think this was, I want to say, um, 89, I think. They got a deal for, um, I believe it's Sunday night games back then. And it was a shared deal. I think it was still a shared deal with TNT, with Turner. And when they got that deal, uh, and or it may, it may even be before that. I think baseball maybe came before that. But when they you know, started they did these- well with college basketball, right? I mean, that wasn't like put them on on the map big time, but it was a reason that a lot of sports fans would tune yeah. in would be yeah. to watch. You know, well, that um, was very early on. You're absolutely and right. Yeah. And, yeah, you that, know that was um, Dick Vitale emerged, and <laughs> exactly. And Dick Vitale was a, was a coach. I think he was a coach for the Detroit Pistons uh, before right. he came on, and he was. I mean, you watch early tape of Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale. Yeah, he's, he dates back to the beginning. And you're absolutely right, Ross. I mean, that was a, a sport that they could get cheap because no one was covering it. Um, back in those days, um, you would just hear about the, the national tournament. And they right. wouldn't have all these games. And maybe the networks would have a couple select games. They'd have like a weekend game exactly. where they have like one of the top teams in the country on, and that would be it. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then so that was something that put, yeah, you put college uh, basketball on the map. And it was something that they could get cheap. And then it really started once they once they got baseball, and then once they got that NFL deal, then they the money started, and then they could really start rolling. And then yeah, it was Jay just Scott Smith mentions that they had the NBA, and and now he says that I, briefly, and I remember like Vital doing an NBA game in like the early mid eighties. Yeah. He's absolutely I, right. They they did, and they they and they they didn't they lost it, and now they well they have it now to this day. They've had it for several years now. Uh, but he's absolutely they right. Had to pay what they pay now, right? Because like yeah. nobody really wanted the NBA back then, but now it's like you know, exactly. Now, now the contracts. And before we get that, uh, Jay also asked um, if you have a. He said everybody's got a Stuart Scott story. Do you have a good Stuart Scott? Story? Oh man, he. Uh, I'll tell you, Stuart Scott was. Um, you knew that Stuart Scott was in the room, so uh, I didn't know him personally, but I I saw him a lot. You know, just walking around and all that. And it was funny. You go to the cafeteria, and if Stuart Scott was around, you knew he was around because he was he would make his presence known. I mean, you know, he was just all the talent, all the talent. It was like you knew the talent was there. Um, right. I, I'll, I'll tell you another talent. Linda Cohn, I think, was uh, she's pretty down to earth. Uh, so when she wasn't, you would never you know hear a peep out of her. And then you'd be in line getting a sandwich. She'd come up behind and say, "What are you getting?" It's like you know, oh, this is good. You know? <laughs> 
And, and it was like, but Stuart Scott and some of these other guys would come, you know, they're like, you know, there, here's Stuart. It's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. It's like, yeah, he's, you know. So, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's just, yeah, he was, he was one of those guys that had a lot of personality, you know, and it, it was just, it was just really sad. I mean, he has a young family. It's just really, really sad yeah. what he went through. And I'll give him, I'll give him a lot of credit because a lot of people didn't really, didn't know. He, he put on a very brave face privately within the organization and, um, and no, you know, he had a lot of health issues going back and forth, but you really didn't know a lot of the details and he would always come back. And uh, he was a fighter, you know. I mean, I got to yeah. give him a lot, a lot of credit. I mean, he never let it affect his on-air performance at all. Um, he, he just, it was straight ahead, 100. percent You know, and uh, it was just sad. You know, the end came very quickly. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, but he was, he was a total pro, no question about it. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Morris. Um, well, first she asked a great question, and that is, where do you get the setup, and how can she get the uh, the studio setup that you have, and where you're streaming from? <laughs> well, this this guy back here, I hire him real cheap, so he's, he he never goes home for some reason. I don't know what 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 the deal is with him. Yeah, it, I, this is millions of dollars. I mean, I, you know, it's like I don't know. No, it's basically a green screen, <laughs> and I put up a moving video, so it's not. I can't. I can't lie. You know, so. It's a, it's a nice setup. Yeah, um, I got, you know, in fact, what I can do is I'll, I'll show you. So just to prove that I don't have an actual <laughs> studio here, I'll, I'll uh, yeah, see it's in my green get, screen here. Uh, so that's you, what it looks you're like. You're not getting all the games right there behind I'm not all, No, that's all. That's all. <laughs> when, we, when we go and, and our sponsors take over for two or three minutes and we take a break, <laughs> you don't turn around and catch up on all the scores. <laughs> no, I, you know, I wish, you know, I mean, someday maybe I'll be able to build out a real studio. But yeah, that's, that's a, you know, green screens are great because it's a nice cheap alternative and, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel's other more serious question is, um, what do you think of the NFL live streaming on Twitter? Do you think that's a big deal? Do you think that's something that's going to take off? Or what I, I will say this about the NFL. The NFL has never met a revenue stream they don't like. I mean, it's <laughs> just uh, – and, and they're not getting much for it. I think what they're doing is they're going to try to bring out – as, and that's, the funny thing is about that deal is that that's not that's a non-exclusive deal meaning that those games are already on the NFL network i think um CBS has a Thursday night package and now Twitter's coming in and they could i think they could be simulcasting the game at the same time that's why it's so cheap but they're just experimenting and they're thinking you know where else could they know that the digital platforms are big and they have to continue to evolve and and they want the product and the product is incredibly popular that's an incredible success story um, when you really think about it, I mean, uh, ESPN, when I left, I mean, they're paying a billion and a half dollars a year for one game a week. Right. right. Um, you know, and, and how long is the season? 17 games. Uh, so paying one million a game for, 10, right, you know, right. 10 games. So, which which means that Yahoo really got screwed last year because they paid almost twenty million right. for a game that started at like four in the morning in London. <laughs> right. Whatever, right. Right. But that's how powerful the NFL is, right? As a brand. <laughs> but I they mean, definitely chose Twitter for a reason. I mean, because they could have gotten more money. Obviously, yep. if they could get it from Yahoo, they could certainly have gotten it from I don't know Facebook or Google yep. or somebody. Right? Would have paid them more than a million a game. But yeah. they obviously think there's something with the synergy with Twitter, they want to test something who knows what's up there. Yeah. I'm not, you know, it's, it's funny. It's a very interesting question. Why they chose Twitter. I think it's more about just testing the social network 
sphere as far as a viable platform to broadcast games because if it if it turns out to be successful then there'll be a little bit of a bidding war i think and i think facebook will definitely be part of it and they have the 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 funds to do it i think google will be right in there too um so i think twitter got luck but yeah i mean you have to wonder like why would they Hmm. why they choose twitter you know Right, right. Yeah. So, what is what is ESPN's kind of you think is their game plan now? With you know, people are cutting the cord, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's less revenue coming in from subscriptions, and every new contract that they sign with a league is getting exponentially more expensive. Yep. So they're kind of getting squeezed from both sides. Yeah. Where are, are are they looking at like live live streaming? Uh, are they looking at some type of digital mm-hmm. revenue? Like what are they looking at to kind of replace that lost revenue? Well, it's it's funny. Uh, they have known about this for years. You know, mm-hmm. um, the current uh, president of of ESPN, John Skipper, even though publicly he says, "Oh, cable is great." And we're friends and we got all kinds of partnerships and he's been saying this for years recently he's been kind of backing off that a bit because it's just the reality is that it's not you know uh the problem that espn has is that they're getting a boatload of money from the subscriber base right so they are mm-hmm. by far espn the main network is by far the most the costliest network to have on basic cable i think five to six times i think what they what turner charges easily i think they're in the six i want to say they're in the six six dollars and change per subscriber range and i think turn i think tnt's second and they're about a buck 25 (laughs) something like that they're definitely under two dollars yeah and they're they're second you know (laughs) um the the cable subscribers peaked out at 2012 ish is mm-hmm. when they and, and ESPN peaked out at about a little over 100 million homes, and then for the for the few years since then, it's been slowly declining. So they they know that okay they gotta they gotta deal with this right, and they're a big company. So I think what's going to be happening, and they're already putting this plan in place. You're you're seeing ESPN now go out and they're extend they're they're not only getting more properties, but they're extending those relationships. So as far as they can, and they're paying big bucks to do it. So take, for example, the NBA, NFL, MLB, they want to go out as far as into the 2020s, even 2030. They want to go out as far as possible because content, you hear content is king, but content really is king for them. That's all about the live sport content that they need, right? So the problem is, though, they're spending all this money and they're, they're, so they're owned by a very financially conservative company, Disney. Right. So now you have an issue where ESPN's wildly successful still, right? But right. they have some, they have some, they have some um, uh, profit pressures right now, and and it's funny when I was there, my whole eighteen years, I think we had one um, voluntary layoff, and this was back in I want to say the right after nine eleven, right? And then right. they during the economic downturn. They had a they had a layoff of maybe and this is a company of six thousand people. They I think they laid off a hundred people, um, and most of them were people that they wanted to get rid of anyways. You know, most performance issues and things like that. Right, right. But all the time I was there, even during the economic downturn, it was we called it the bubble because right. you would it never know like it was growing. Right, like things oh, were just oh, getting yeah. bigger and better. You would never know that there was economic difficulties at all. Out right, there. right, it was it was like a fantasy land there. And now, not that they're having problems making money, they're making money. Problem is with expenses. And now they have to kind of, I think what you're going to see with ESPN over the long term, 10, 20 years, 
they're going to be a smaller company, right? Because they are going digital. They've right. been developing the digital platforms for, I mean, since the early 2000s, I mean, early, well, probably since the mid 2000s, probably for 10 years. Now they have all kind. Of, everything's available digitally, so you can do watch. There's, a, there's an app, watch ESPN, and you can watch ESPN on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Um, the only thing they don't have, you have to have a cable subscription because the, the cable monopoly there. And again, it's hard for these big companies to let go of that guaranteed revenue because they got. So I don't see how you can be a complete cord cutter if you want to watch programming that's on ESPN. If you can't watch ESPN three. Right. Um, without having a cable subscription, then how can you be a cord cutter if you want to watch ESPN? You can't be, right? Yeah, you, you can't be yet. I, right, I have right. a feeling, I, you know, and this is all part of the process, right? Because they're getting a ton of money from cable subscribers and they're going to ride that train as long as they can. I mean, it's only natural, right? But I think the time is coming and I think they'll do fine as a digital platform because I think that's what ultimately what's going to happen. Um, I think cable is getting disrupted and even the cable companies have to find ways to repackage their content and deliver it to consumers. I mean, ultimately it's about having the fast pipe to your house, right? So if you only have, you have, as long as you have the bits coming to your house, I don't really care how I'm getting it. I just want to get what I want when I want it. And I think what you're going to see, and they've already got the platforms built out, but I think they're waiting for the right time. And I think they're already negotiating like Apple and they're negotiating these over the top packages and these skinny bundles, and that's what you're going to see, you know, because right, like right. HBO does it, right? And, and and I think these these companies that have really good content that's that people want that people are willing to pay for are going to go on their own merry little way. But there's a transition period there, right? right so, right. and the quality is very good. Like, I mean, yeah. I can watch a college basketball game on my phone if I yep. have to. And it's it's pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, uh, Shane Scott says sports is the only reason she can't get rid of cable. But really, I mean, ESPN sort of right to charge that much because, you know, if you take sports off a of cable, I I think I can get my news elsewhere. I can yeah. watch the news online. I can watch, but the live sports is one thing that you know just doesn't replicate itself too well. Watching highlights and watching things, if if your team is playing and you want to see them, you yeah. you kind of gotta have that cable subscription still, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you really do. But I think that eventually, um, that's gonna go. I mean, away. It's, it's just that there's so much money tied up with these cable subscribers. And the thing is though, th think about this. ESPN gets paid for every cable subscriber, whether they watch the channel or not. Right. And that's, see, that's the big nut that they have to get through versus doing over the top where the cable, where the subscriber is paying directly to the company. And if they're paying directly to the company, you, you, you know, you, you bet you they're going to watch it. Right. Cause they're paying for, they, there's a direct relationship with the company. But, there, you know, there's a lot of cable subscribers out there that aren't into sports that are paying as part of their cable package $6 and change every month to ESPN, whether they turn on that TV or not. You know, so that's, you a, know, they used that's to sell to give game up. plans. Do they still sell like those game plans for college sports? Because it seems like yep. they put everything on on ESPN three anyway, or or are there still exclusive games that you have to buy the game? Well, here's the funny thing, Ross. I mean, a lot of co most college sports in this country are produced by ESPN, whether right. it's the ESPN directly 
whether mm-hmm. it's a um, network that they own. So they own uh, the Big Ten network. They own right. um, the the, um, the the network down in Austin, Texas. That uh, I, f- I forget what they call it now. Uh, that just broadcasts uh, University of Texas games. They own that. Uh, also, SEC. They're a partner in that network. So, and also they produce games for other networks. So they produce games for for the big. They used to produce games for the Big East network when that was a network. So right. they have a big business in not only their own production but also producing for other networks. And basically, ESPN is everywhere as far as sports goes, especially college sports. Right. Right, right. Um, we have an open seat if anybody wants to jump in and ask either a sports broadcasting question or just ask, uh, you know, TV production, live stream production question. Um, I, I guess, you know, with live streaming, with with um, just the whole di- digital landscape <laughs> changing, do you think that opens up more opportunities for even more niche networks or niche broadcasters even more local things that you know didn't get local games that didn't get broadcast anywhere that somebody can make a dollar off of putting on you know straight to the internet broadcasts Mm -hmm. and things like that i mean we always had like you know for 15 years we've probably had you know small college teams broadcasting straight you know from a phone line to the internet or whatever but you know not real not the kind of quality we can now do with video and everything else. Like, where do you see like the larger sports outside of the pro and big time college? Where do you see, you know, broadcasting going? Oh man. I mean, I think that once now what's possible, like even what we're doing on blab, but what's possible, you can easily stream. I'm doing it right now. Actually I'm, I'm streaming. I stream 24 seven when I'm not on the air with my week. I do a weekly show, uh, Mm -hmm. direct, to multiple platforms all at once live Mondays at 2 p.m. Right. So I'm live there. But when I'm not live, I have and I'm building out my site on my landing page. I have my videos running. I basically have constructed this network and I must shout out. I think he's still hopefully. Yes. Stephen Haywood, the tech buzz is in the room and I'm and I hate when I do this, but I have to give him a shout out <laughs> for this because he's really my inspiration. He's been doing this for a long time. Basically, what we both have done is we we constructed our own network, our own ESPN, our own CBS. And so right now I'm actually on another computer. I am broadcasting my replays in a linear fashion live on btslive.com. And I think that that's a model for a lot of broadcasts, a lot of content creators, companies, other brands, other, like, like you mentioned, Ross, maybe small colleges, other people that may not get the distribution. But frankly... I mean, I'm running a TriCaster that will fit in a roller bag, and I right. can run multiple cameras. I mean, you could set up the, the equipment you need now to do a high-level production. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking just, a, you know, you're talking thousands versus millions, you know, and it's within reach of most serious producers to get the equipment or get the know-how. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that that opens up all kinds of niche possibilities that in the past with mass media, you would need millions of people to monetize. Now you just right. need a few thousand. And you're right, good to go, right. and you can get that. I mean, it's not you know. So, so eventually, like every every high school game, you'll be able to watch. Like you know, every even people will be putting their kids' little league games yeah. on it at, at a high enough level yeah. that you know people will watch it, even if they don't have a family member playing, just because they're they're scanning around the internet and they come across it and like, oh, you know, this isn't bad. This is entertaining. Right? Exactly, exactly. Because because again, there's a there's an there's an engaged audience almost for anything. 
You know, I mean, and that's what I tell people too. Like a lot of people will talk about, uh, it may want to start a podcast or may want to start a show. Even just probably when you were trying to start this show, what you're thinking about. I mean, if you're interested in a particular topic, there's an audience for it. You right. Know, it right. really is. And, and, you know, you have direct access now. You don't have the gatekeepers. You don't have to go to an ESPN to get permission. Right. Oh, can I put my show on, please? Can you broadcast it out? No. You, I mean, it doesn't take that much. I mean, you're, we're doing it right here on Blab. It takes a computer to right, get started, right. right? And so I just think that, you know, and you've seen it with YouTube. You've seen, right. you know, people that have been on, and, and it takes a long, you got to be, you got to be consistent and have patience and, you know, and do it all the time and, you know, build it up. It takes time. But I mean, if you are really serious and you work hard at it and you have good content, I mean, anybody could build a network on really, you really could, you really could. And I, I guess for you, like having that, those videos playing and people always who come back to your website, always see something different. Mm -hmm. So you, if you have like a potential client comes two or three times, you don't have to tell them what you can do. They can see you doing it at several different points and go, okay, I'm sold already. (laughs) Now let me talk to this exactly so i mean it's i i think like you know any every business now is a media business right is a content producer and is is eventually going to be into some type of video or streaming or you know what do you see the podcast game going i mean i i get two kinds of info in my ears right mm-hmm. in one ear i get like podcasts are going to explode and companies are going to be hiring podcasters and everybody's going to have a podcast and everybody's going to be downloading listening and another one is nobody listens to podcasts and you know video 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 um right. podcasting just is yesterday and kids don't care about it and you know whatever so i'm hearing both of these things like it's the greatest thing in the world and it's a waste mm-hmm. of time where do you where do you come down on podcasting? No, I think I think it's uh, incredibly vibrant. You know, all okay. kinds of content, audio and video content. The problem that I see is that there's a lot of mediocre content out there, whether it's whether it's the production quality or just the content itself. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much work it is. I mean, you know, I, I saw you your how you worked just on this show leading up to this tonight, right? And I've seen you do your shows in the past, and I know you take it seriously. And well, thank and you. You don't make a big deal about it, but I know <laughs> you work. I know what it takes. You know, I worked into. I know, and I and I call it the ninety ten rule, where ninety percent of the work happens before you hit the air, and and what we're here now is ten percent, and people see the just the ten percent, but they don't see the other ninety. And I think to do it well, you know, you can even talk to Stephen Haywood. I mean, we we've talked about this, you know, constantly, and we've actually done shows on it. Is that if you really want to do high quality, you gotta you gotta put the time in to create the content, and that's it takes work, you know, to research the topics, to 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 be able to talk intelligently about whatever you're gonna talk about, and then to produce it well, you have to make sure you test everything, even that even on a simple level, you know, I'm not even talking about getting all fancy, but even on a and on blab level, you got to make sure your your computer is ready to go, all the stuff. Right. Just you know what I mean. I mean, I saw. You, you were ready to go. We're both ready, you know, and that makes all the difference, right? And, and I see right. so many people, you know, I'm not talking about the people that are casual, you know, and Blab is, Blab, there's a whole set of users that are that are just casual users, like to have video conference. That's totally okay. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the people that are really serious and say they want to produce professional content. I just think that, you know, it's not, there's no easy button. There's no, I hear a lot of people, they want it the easy way. Okay. You know, the quick start guide is great. But right. 
if you really want to be good, you got to just got to put the work into it. And and that's why I always say to people, and I told this to Mark Rogers, who's my co-host, right? He's the in, in front of the camera guy. He actually right. worked on camera. He's, he was a sports director and all that sports anchor. And when he wanted to do his videos, he's been doing videos, YouTube videos now for five or six years. And his specialty is college football. He loves it. And I, and he didn't know anything about social, anything about YouTube. So when I asked him, he want to help. And I asked him, I was like, Mark, I have two questions. One, do you love what you're doing? He goes, yes. And would you do it for free for a long time? He goes, yes. And then when he answered yes, I said, okay, I'll help you. Because you're going to be <laughs> doing it for a long time. Nobody's watching. And you're going to be doing it a long time. It's going to do it for free. You know, right, now, right. if you do it at a high level, yeah, is there possibilities of, of sponsorships or this? Or, or say if your goal is to work on air at a major you know, at a TV or network or whatever, is that a good way to maybe start? Yeah, you know, because maybe you can form those relationships, but it takes a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's good for people who don't have any goal to do that, but just business people who notice that video is coming. Yeah. Video is more of a priority. Yeah. Why not get good now when there's 10 people or 20 people yeah. or 100 people or 200 people or even 500 people yeah. watching so that when you need to do this in front of thousands of people or you catch a moment where it would be most beneficial for you, your business, for society, whatever, that you get on and you deliver something, some content in video form, in broadcast form, you're ready to do it. Yeah. So while you might not make a dollar off of this, mm -hmm. you can make relationships yeah. and you can develop skills that will pay off. And if nothing else, you can test ideas. Yeah. Like, I mean, far better for us to kick around where we think Blab's going here than to, you know, to do it in a business meeting or yeah. something. And, and, and Ross, you bring up a really good point because most people, when they produce content, they're not looking to make money. You know, uh, I think some people, if they are, then, you know, I would challenge them on that. Say, you know, just I would put that away and kind of put your and do the work. But I think far better, like what you're saying is the opportunity to um, to form relationships, to talk about you say if you have a say if you have a plumbing business you know to talk about right. plumbing i mean that, that's a that's a subject that is very technical right and all people all have pipe you know plumbing in their homes and you know and there's an opportunity and and you could start out on the phone i mean you don't have to you could set it up in a thing you don't have to get all fancy to start and right. just talk about plumbing and answer questions and start that way even on blab you can do it and then if you really want to go you can iterate it as you go you know if you really want to get fancier you know but i think there's two streams here right there's the highly produced part or highly produced video content which frankly is going to get more and more and and not go away i think it's just getting easier to do and then there's the run and gun right so what's great about apps like facebook live on the phone or periscope is that you can go with your phone to where you might not be able to get a crew or a setup. And that's what's great about that. And you can mix the two, you know? Right. So right. I think it's great for, you know, talking about if you have a business, I mean, uh, showing what you do, especially a technical one where people may not. I know there's a guy, Mark Goodman. He's, I don't think he's in the room, but he, he's a home inspector. And, and I know Stephen and I worked with him and, you know, he wanted to, you know, do his show on Blab and he was very interested in the, in the tech side of things. And originally, he he tried to do a green screen, and we kind of coached him away from that because he just didn't have the computing power to do it right. Right. And so he was very good. He was very um, creative. He got a vinyl printed background printed with his logo, very low tech, got some lights, you know, worked on, made sure he had decent mic, 
decent camera, position it right. All the like I call it clean and simple, just a clean and simple thing. And he iterated. And it's like he comes he he comes in our shows lots of times. I, I always set him up in his example because I think that that's the type of guy who has a technical business that right. can use these platforms to educate people about home inspections. Because eventually, if you're buying a home, you're going to need a home inspector. And then he becomes the go-to guy exactly. in his area because exactly. when you need a home inspector in that area, he's the only one you can think of off the top of your head without having to ask for a recommendation. Exactly. And then he can consult with people who aren't happy with their home inspector all over the country or all over the world, right? right? Exactly. So, you know, it, it probably turns out to be quite an ROI on doing yep. a, a show once a week or however often he, he does a show on yep. Blab, not to mention, you know, there's a value in just the relationships and the experience, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think, you, I think you hit the nail around on the head. And again, that's the value here because the, the, the barrier to entry is now almost non-existent. It used to be... Right. And that was the hot, hardest part, right? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I think that that's the thing. Getting started is the first barrier, right? So you got to get started. You had to go into a studio, right. record something, exactly. pretend that it was live, right? You know, exactly. Pretend it was on a real stage. You know, I, and also, I know, I know what it was like. Oh yeah, and Ross, when I when I started, we you know we have our my wife and I have our business, so it's a production business, and so part of our business is it, we do video and audio production, multimedia. When we first started, when I learned how to podcast, I did it. I, we did a podcast for a while. I My whole objective was to learn how to podcast. So we just did it. And we right. just learned and we just trial and error and we just did it to learn. Same thing with video. We said we both are not outgoing on video, but we go, you know what? We have to do this. So right. so we just we just got on and excuse me one second. Let me, sure. I got Max and it's like all when the phone rings, it goes on every device. <laughs> <laughs> but but we just said, well, we got to do it. Right. So we just I think we used the phone or one of those flip, flip cameras and we started that way. Very, you know, basic. Right. But we right. started and then we just built from there. So when we did our show, we, we started with Google Hangouts and now. You know, many years later, uh, I'm up to this stage where I have the switchers and I have all that stuff. But it, I didn't start out like this at all. I didn't have the fancy stuff. See, I thought I thought the first time I saw you on um, Blab, I thought for sure you were an old time like radio guy or whatever. No. Who now was just like you'd been doing radio for 30 <laughs> years, and now you're just messing around with you know, you know, TV production. Well, I didn't know you were a TV production guy because you were so natural. You have a great voice, a great delivery. You're so poised at taking questions and things. I thought for sure you had been doing broadcasting either you know on radio or on camera for years. I didn't know that that you know. You, you've been totally like behind the scenes guy. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I think working at ESPN helped and having Mark Rogers as a friend help and, and, and having Stephen Haywood as a friend helps. All these people know different aspects very well um, of uh, the whole production process. So I did a lot of observing. Uh, I am not a natural. I just, you know, and I think the other important thing is, you know, when you, when you produce content, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I don't watch my stuff. I don't want, I can't stand watching. And I think that's a mistake. I think I, I watch everything I do, not necessarily as a nitpick, but I'll always pick out one little thing. Like I'll give an example. A lot of people have trouble with the um words, right? Um, and they, and they got, and I, I, I'm what thing right now, what I'm trying to do is practice my, my cadence and my pacing. So I try to slow it down. And that's the hardest thing. Everyone wants to talk fast and get it out. 
But if you take it slow down, take a breath, and then you start getting better at it and you get rid of the ums by doing that. You know, I learned it from Mark and I learned it from, you know, watching people at ESPN watch behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of practice. I mean, I, I, again, I just continually practice and, yeah, just doing it helps, you know, and I just, I strive to get better and better and better. And uh, there's a ton of things I still want to improve. I never want to stop learning. And that's another thing. Don't never stop learning. And there's always something you can improve. Um, and that's the fun part of it. You know, I always want to do, oh, I want to do that. I want to do this and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's just, it's just doing it, you know, practice and observing and, and making corrections. Yeah, Durham Skywriter says, do sports guys ever breathe? They're so high energy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why they're in sports, you know, I and mean, they have to be. It's a, it's a high energy type of thing. So the, it's, that's part of the entertainment. When, it's uh, funny when you see like a sports guy who then fills in doing for news and he's so calm, <laughs> like, you know. There was a fire on 33rd Street. Dude. Right. 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 Like you got to comment that you can't talk excited about bad news. I mean, like look, look uh, at Dick Vitale. Right. I mean, the guy is like either you love him or hate him. I mean, because the guy's like got all, you know, it's like all high energy all the time. He's like the guy's like in his 70s, you know, he's still going strong, you know, but he's like <laughs> the dookies are here, baby, baby, all that stuff. you know. <laughs> and it's funny because we we all I mean, the guy is like be I, I remember um, he would be in, in Bristol during the tournament last night and i ran into him several times when i was there and off camera he's pretty quiet but on camera he turns on he's it's like you know it's like all that stuff that's part of the that's part of the act you know so right right (laughs) (laughs) how are you doing on time do you do you need to run okay okay you can stick stick around for like another 15 okay no no worries so if anybody wants to call in uh, i'd love to get some questions um for marty what do you what do you think in terms of what makes a good blab show? You've you've watched a lot of shows. You've participated. You've called in. You've been a guest. You've you've been in the chat box. What do you think the best people are doing on blab? And where do you think most people who are you know kind of ramping it up a little bit could go to improve? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I see blab as kind of kind of a two sided coin, right? So I right. think there there's a lot of people that are using it as a chat as a video chat and now they have these unlisted blasts. So I think I see a lot of people, I think they're going into, they're forming these rooms and talking. And that what's great about that is that, you know, and I've used it too, where you form these relationships and I've, I've met several people on blab. I would never have known, you know, and, and form friendships with, uh, because of the whole being able to hop on and kind of be in this room and kind of, um, collaborating, and then you got the other side of it where people are using it to do actual shows, right? And I think that side of it is, you know, I, I think that here, I mean, here's the thing. As far as Blab goes, I mean, that Blab definitely has its technical challenges. I don't think it's necessarily a stable platform yet. Um, you know, I think it's some growing pains there and a lot of stuff going behind the scenes. But, but it does provide that gateway to do it. And I think, again... For people to be successful on Blab, I think preparation is very, very key. Right. Again, we go back to that 90-10 rule where you have to understand that it takes a lot of work. I mean, Ross, I know, you know, you don't come on here not prepared. I mean, you how many how many shows you do? Like, you do I've several shows, I've been doing shows, one right? a week, and on a now basis. I've added three others that I do at least monthly. So, Okay. And even the one a week, I, 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 I can feel for you because I, I do I do a one one time a week show myself and I still have my business. And 
it's a challenge. You know, you have to prepare. You, you The way I look at it also and the way I think people should look at it is you're asking people to stop by and basically drop everything and watch you for half hour, hour, whatever of their time. And I just think that every time I get on there, I better make sure. And I've had my right, tech right. challenges, you know, setting up my – and I, I do it at a high level and, and I have a very complicated setup here. And I had um, for a while, I had all kinds of audio mix minus issues and trying to get Mark to come in through Skype and run in the audio. And, and I ended up sitting down with, with, uh, with Steven over Skype for a couple hours and we troubleshooted it. And I finally got it, you know, to where I should have it and, and do it right. But again, the preparation has to be there. And I just think, feel that when you hit air, when you come on, that you should be providing a lot of value. People are watching right, right. you. And, and even though it's free, the time isn't free, right? So if you expect to have an audience, I just think that you have to deliver massive amounts of value or else they have no reason for them to watch or even come back, you know? So I think that that takes a lot of preparation, a lot of work to do well. And I'm not saying your first show is going to be the greatest thing on earth. It's not, you know, I mean, you're going to improve. And, and, and if you stick with it, you know, say if you're, say if you're 50 shows in, and you look back at your first show, you're probably <laughs> going to laugh to yourself. It's like, oh my god, look how look how far because you put the work in, you know. And I think that's the that's the the thing that I think people don't realize how how much work it really takes to to do, especially if you're aspiring to yeah. a high level. Uh, I just yeah. don't. I think a lot of people don't realize how much work it really takes. Yeah, to I think I'm a really good show. I Content think I'm about 25, 25 shows in now, and it's it's funny because I had a basically an empty YouTube channel, right? And now each show I'm putting up on the YouTube channel, it's like, wow, I got a nice storehouse of content. Nobody can say I haven't been doing anything the last five months or what. Yeah. So, but at least you're doing it, though, Ross. You know, that's that's the big thing. You're out there. You're doing it. You have a structure. I could tell how you do it. I mean, that's half the battle right there is you take it seriously and I know you're. You probably every week is okay. Here's what I want to do. I mean, I I, I can I can kind of yeah, see and, the and you know ninety there, ten you know, also like ninety percent of the things that I thought I was going to ask you about. Like I don't I don't make notes or anything like that. But I certainly when I book a guest, mm-hmm. have an idea. Okay, this is I'm not just booking somebody because you know I I, I picked that at random, right? I booked you because there are certain things I wanted to talk to you about, and then the conversation gets going yep. and time moves quickly, and it's like. Okay, I didn't get to that, but the conversation's now moving, and it's I'm not going to disrupt it right. by going back and asking you one more question about ESPN when we've yeah. moved on, right? Like yeah. that, that that wouldn't have been in, yeah. appropriate at that time. So you you end up not using a lot of your best shows. You end up not using stuff that you thought you were going to work in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you and you raise a really good point there as far as producing on the fly. Um, you know, ESPN being, you know, like live sports centers and live news studio shows, those shows are heavily scripted, right? So they, you have a rundown, you have, you have a broken down my segment, <clears throat> but also you have filler material and you have different opportunities. So in case something needs to go long, and especially I think on blab shows where they're much more freewheeling, I think the, the key there is when you're planning your show, you want to put your most important content at the top. And then I would plan it out, even if you have a guest plan or you think you're going to have Q&A, I would plan the show out as if nobody was either going to be on the show or even watching the show. So that you could, if you say if your show is planned for an hour, you want to make sure you have enough content to do on your own for an hour, just in case. And then plan it out where you can cut on the fly 
segments out that that you weren't able to get to. And then the thing is that people have to realize when you're when you're the show producer, people viewing the show do not know what right, you cut right. out. So, like what you're saying, Ross, if the if the um, co- if the conversation's going well and you have five other segments planned, you can't get to them. And so be it. Maybe that's another. Sh- maybe you know what? Maybe that's a favor to you. Maybe that's right. another show. And maybe right, that's a right. part two. Right. I mean, you know? the only other option is to not have enough to talk about, and that's a disaster, right? <laughs> to, I, I to agree. have to try and I fill agree. an hour yeah. when you don't, when you run out of things that you would want to ask the right. person is the worst. So it's you know, and it's the same thing with sports. I mean, when they prepare for a game, they come up with all these stories, right? Like, there's no way when they have like, okay. He's won two games in in extra innings with home runs, and that stat comes out. Somebody was digging in the books just in case that game went to to extra innings, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, what I oh. mean, like there's lots of stuff that that's only can be used in 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 a, in, yeah. a, in a once in a lifetime situation, right? Like, well, they have. It's funny you mentioned they have they have research. They have a whole yeah. research department at ESPN, right? So they have research. It's a, that's a position researcher. And they have on the on the major shows, they have a researcher assigned to each show, and they'll literally sit in the studio at a computer, and they're the they're they're kind of the last call on if they need a stat or if they need, and they'll yeah they have all kinds, of, and a lot of it's mm-hmm. pre planned, but if they need something on the fly, like like for example, and even on remote, like you're talking, maybe there's no hitter in progress, they have people there that are looking up the stats and then putting things together that make sense. So, you know, you know, Tom Jones is pitching and he's going after his first no hitter. And then did you know, and he's playing for the Mets. Did you know this is Mets have never had a no hitter and this is the first time, blah, 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 and all that stuff. So they have a guy actually doing that and setting that up and putting something together that makes sense for that particular, you know, moment right, in the right. game. So. Yeah, that's amazing how, how much they can get to. Yeah. Um, they must have some some library of resources, right? I mean, <laughs> they, they have the, they have yeah. a lot of phone numbers. They they basically have the in to you know I mean uh, you know they have direct you know connections and and they have research and and it's funny it must have been something before because I started there in '95 so I started there right when the internet was first really getting going and uh, I could imagine before the internet when they first started I mean it's got it had to be crazy now it's a lot easier because you have instant access. And then again, they can talk directly to other networks, other newsrooms, other organizations. They can they can talk directly to the NFL, directly to MLB. Right, right. Uh, they 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 know the PR people. They you know, I mean, again, you're right there at the game. I mean, they, the connections there. So it's a little different for ESPN, but for the average person doing a sports show, what's great is you have the internet, right? 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 So I mean, you have the information there for you. Yeah, so. before the internet, you you really had to do your research. <laughs> have it on index yeah. cards or something right now right. now it's like anybody right. can do a show and they could have a window open in, in their browser and look up anything yeah. you know so. right I, w- I would say this you know getting back to your question about the blab show i think that you know one suggestion i would make is if you can team up with somebody even if they're not on camera if you can even team up with somebody to help you produce it where maybe they're in the comments mm-hmm. And they're moderating comments, or maybe they're making you aware of questions because you you know doing this, Ross. I mean, it's it's a challenge to uh, to go with the, you know you're trying to look at the comments. I'm trying to look at the camera right, right. So I'm a TV guy, so I'm looking at the, but I'm also looking at the comments, you know. So and you're and you're for you you're you're trying to host the show. If you're if you're juggling a guest and people coming into the seats asking questions, 
you know, it, you, you kind of get the sense of what it is to produce a, a TV show at the network level. I mean, that's why they have a whole room of people doing right, everyone right. has one specific job to do and that's why it's set up that way so. i guess in, in radio you more fly solo i mean to some extent i mean they have a producer call screener stuff like that but um you know i, I used to work in radio and you, you they'd send you out somewhere you're basically on your own right yeah, <laughs> you got yeah. a microphone and you know good luck yeah. to you <laughs> so and even they're doing that now with like like uh the lo- like local news gathering i mean you send not a reporter, and you used to have a crew. You said maybe a camera operator, audio guy, yeah, and a reporter. Now you have. And they stand there themselves. Right. Somebody they just do that on their the own. Camera now. while they're doing the stand up. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know. I mean, it's like that's how it is now. So. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everything's scaling back. Like in terms of yeah, the the yeah. less employees companies can use, the less they're they're, they're going with. Well, the technology is allowing yeah. it, you know, no question about it. So. What did you, did you yeah. hear about um, ESPN with their 30 for 30 on the Red Sox comeback against the Yankees <laughs> and cutting Kurt Schilling out of it? Now, let me, let me preface yeah. this by saying let that, me take a that drink. <laughs> I am a huge Yankee fan. And that, well, mm-hmm. that series is the worst. It is such a bad sports memory that I can't even talk about it hardly. Okay. So for years, I was convinced that he poured ketchup on his sock and the whole thing was, I mean, I thought Kurt Schilling was phonier than the $3 bill. So I'm not bringing this up as somebody likely to defend Kurt Schilling. But no matter what happened when he was at ESPN and what his relationship is, I mean, we have guys yep. who are in videos who are murderers, who are, yep. you know, wife beaters, who have done all sorts of yep. evil things just because you decided to fire him. How do you cut him out of a documentary? Yep. Like, it, it, how do you edit him out of like, I don't know, that that doesn't make sense to me. And I'm the last person that would be defending a guy who, you know, poured ketchup on his sock to pitch for the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because um you know, I, I yeah, it's it's you you raise a good point, you know, and uh you know, now I'm not, now that I'm no longer there, <laughs> I'm not associated with ESPN, I'll put that out as a disclaimer. I can pause the recording. You know? <laughs> no, no, that's right. No, no, no. Um but you know, yeah, I mean, that that's a that's a here's the thing, you know, I I'll 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 answer it this way. You know, uh, uh, safe, um, but that's the thing. You know, because not only is is ESPN a they like they say they're a news gathering organization, they're also entertainment, and they're also business partners with the sports leagues. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, you, you I think that the, it's debatable. It raises up maybe some conflicts of interest there. I mean, the NFL is a great example. I mean, even with the concussion thing, they had an issue with that, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't get the whole, why would you edit them out of a documentary? I mean, I know whatever is happening behind the scenes and I, and I know that Kurt Schilling, I, I, I was there when he was there and, um, you know, he, you know, listen, you know, he's a controversial figure in the, his personal life, you know, and especially with social media now, that's been a real challenge for organizations like ESPN and their talent. They, 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 they encourage the talent to be active on social, but Disney is, is fairly conservative. They're very protective of the brand of the Disney brand, certainly. Right. And ESPN's always been very protective of ESPN. And I think that that's a challenge for them. 
I mean, you know, where do you, you know, you can, how much can you control and still remain relevant as far as a news gathering organization? I, I, it's a whole other issue whether somebody should be fired for what they say in their off right. time and whatever. And, and that's, or if you're going against policy, right, right. You right. know, that might have been a policy issue. Yeah, although you could argue the policy is selectively enforced because there, oh, I, I would agree. there are people who say all agree. sorts of crazy yeah. bleep off oh, the air I, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and they've survived. They, that, right? Ross, they, they definitely have some issues but, there. But, as but well. I, I just is, think editing somebody out of history. I mean, yep. if no, ma no matter what, he he is integral to the history of that event. And has to yep. be a part of it. I mean, if if you remember one thing from that event, you remember that bloody sock or that ketchup yep. stained sock or, you know, whatever you think really happened. It's still how do you edit them out of history? I mean, it's fine. You fired them. That's whatever. I, I like I say, I thought the guy was phonier than the $3 bill when he was a major league yep. baseball player. And so do the fans of a lot of the teams that he played for. But yep. you can't rewrite history. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I 100% agree with you, to be honest. And I think I it, mean, just, uh, it just hurts their credibility to do that. It does. Because then it you does. what I mean, else is being edited and taken out. And Well, yeah, I mean, see, here we talked a little about earlier. I mean, uh, the, the talent there, there's a lot of talent that has, that has been there for a long time. The core group, there's a lot of management that's been there for a long time. In fact, the, really the first wave is has been retired past few years. And there were several people I knew I worked with that were there that we call them the 79ers that were there since 79. Right. Um, and I knew several of them, you know, and a lot of them have retired now. Uh, and then you still have people coming in there in the early eighties that have been there the whole career. Uh, and they're in very powerful positions. And I, I think you run a risk there of getting a little bit too, you know, um, afraid of what the public reaction i mean I, I you know also you're working with business partners like the nfl is a great example i mean with the concussion thing reporting on the whole concussion story i mean that's in the, the nfl doesn't want to talk about that you know but as a newer news organization i think the espn it has a has a obligation to report it right so what do you do you, you're, you're paying your business partners and then you got to you know report on something negative that clearly the nfl does not want to talk about Right, right. You know, I, I, I don't get the whole Kurt Schilling editing out. I, you know, you fired the guy. I totally agree. It's part of history. It's part of your. What What are you doing? I mean, you're bringing you're not, more attention. You're not to editing OJ Simpson out of Bill's highlights from the '70s because he killed right, somebody. So right. you, that, that's you a fired. that was a dumb move. I mean, to so be if honest. you fired the guy for for tweets that you didn't approve of, then yeah. I just don't understand. Like, then you're getting into credibility because then I'm going, why Why should I go watch the news on Sports Center if this company thinks that you know they can change yeah. history? Right. Yeah, it was not. I think it was like, a mistake. That's like you know North Korea. So yeah. You're gonna make them disappear so that. He, that's yeah. What he said. I, 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 yeah. It was, there, I mean, I think it was a mistake that they did that. I mean, if they just left it alone, nobody would have questioned it. I don't know what they're afraid of. I mean, it's just. It, it, yeah. And it, by the I, way, those documentaries are one of the best things that they've yeah. done. Oh yeah. I mean, the idea that they gave producers a camera and said, you know, you go do these documentaries. Yeah. And again, you can argue when you have talent like Jalen Rose, who's producing a documentary, you know, is it really a documentary or is it, right. you know, I, I mean, he's an excellent, excellent analyst on the NBA. 
But as a documentary producer, he probably leaves a little bit to be desired, right? Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. But but most of those documents, I mean, the one on Maurice Dupree, what was his name? Dupree, Marcus Dupree, um, the, the the running back who played at Oklahoma for a couple of years, and then he didn't make the NFL, and then he got fat and tired and whatever, and he came back at like 28 and played for the Rams or whatever. The story of recruitment and his life, that's got to be one of the best documentaries like I've seen in anywhere. So they yeah. do such good stuff, and then they yeah. do something like that, and they, <laughs> why would you damage your brand by tra- by doing that? Yeah. I mean, it's so, uh, you know, last I guess the last thing I want to ask you about about ESPN um, is from the time you started, like when it the good old days, right? When mm-hmm. it was fun and it they kind of hit the big time. You had you had like Craig Kilborn there. Then oh, Craig, highlights, I'm glad you mentioned him. That so, was my favorite thing in the morning was to the, watch the basketball well, highlights. Well, it was he would he would he would do the two a.m. from Bristol, <laughs> and it, and he, it would be the feel good edition of Sports Center. That would he, he was great. I mean, he, I mean, him, it, see, that was the good old days. Well, that's when I first started in the mid 90s, right? So it was him. It was, check this out. It was, it was uh, Overman and Patrick, 11 o'clock. And then they would have, like, usually in season, they would have a baseball tonight or they have some type of tape show. And then the feel good edition at two o'clock. <laughs> that was before, that, that's before they did the 1 a.m. Right. right. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., back to back. 2 a.m. 2 a.m. And they just kept replaying that until about noon the next day. They put right? it on the wheel. Yeah, it would, it would, <laughs> they would record it on one-inch tape back then because we had tape control rooms. And and they would bring it up. I would I worked the night shift. I worked till 4 a.m. back in those days. And I would work in mass control. And, and then at the end of the show, they would do the fixes to the segments that they screwed up. And then they would put it all on one-inch tape. And then they would bring it up to mass control. And they would just wheel it off hour by hour until about noon. And they would noon during the week they would go to tape programming, and then they would do Sports Center at six o'clock. But um, yeah, the feel good that was, a, and the reason why they did it at two a.m. because it's eleven o'clock on the West Coast, and that was the West Coast edition. But right. they do it from Bristol. Now they have a whole LA studio out there. They do it all local. But um, but Craig Kilburn was great. Oh, that oh, was man. so much fun. And I oh. I was a big NBA fan, and at that time. Like the guys that I grew up watching were were kind of long in the tooth, but a lot of them were still like there's still guys that that you know I, I were playing when I was in high school and junior high and whatever, and now you know I'm an adult and they're, they're at their end of their careers, and he loved all those guys. Oh. He had you know, a, <laughs> I mean when he did the the basketball, the NBA highlights, he was like I it was like heaven watching that. Oh yeah. Morning. yeah, he knew everybody. He knew everything about them and he just enjoyed it so much i mean he was so good at that i i, I mean he became too big for that i guess but you know <laughs> well yeah i mean it's, it's probably not a, not the most fun gig to do at two in the morning after some, yeah. some time i mean it's better to do a show on network tv get paid 10 times as much and right. recorded it at four in the afternoon <laughs> i mean especially back in those days i mean espn was big in the ninth in the in the mid 90s certainly but that you've asked like my best times there it was when i it was my first five years there up until 2000 i think you know when i was do working in the control rooms when the talent was the talent they had they had charlie steiner i mean remember charlie steiner right. I mean, he yeah was, wait uh they had he was they, in every they, commercial oh <laughs> man i mean it was just like he was just i mean they had i think the talent back in the in the mid to late 90s was the best i mean now it's just to me it's just kind of like generic 
I mean, you don't know anybody. They're all like they're off. They all come in from they get young guys and young uh, girls to come in. Um, they're all lo- they all come from local local net, you know um, markets and things like that. But there's no star power there anymore. Those guys they developed their their talent way better back then, you know, and they were stars. And, and I think also they didn't have the internet really streaming back then. So you had to watch cable sport, cable news, and yet you, you gained the sports center to get the scores and the highlights. Now you can go online and get the highlights anytime you want. Right. But right. I think that that contributed to it where you had everybody watch sports center. Now I would challenge how many people out there really watch sports center on a regular basis. They, they just go to ESPN.com or right. any other site and just get the highlight. I mean, and that's you, what Chris Berman was at his best. I mean, that NFL primetime show was like a must watch uh, when he did the highlights and he had like Robin Roberts and Bill Pino yeah, and Tom yeah. Jackson. And they just formed like, I mean, it's just so much fun and the nicknames and everything. And, yeah. you know, then it eventually it got a little tired because you'd seen the highlights 15 times yeah. already by then. Yeah. And then NBC came along and they decided not yeah. to do it anymore. They do it at like, you know, one in the morning or whatever. Right. I know. Yeah. But yeah, that seemed like and their college basketball coverage. They had Clark Kellogg was up and coming at that oh, time. And, Clark was great. Yeah. Clark was great. He was you know, Vital. I mean, Vital I mean, either love him or hate him, sir. But you mentioned Robin Roberts. I have to give a shout out to her. Um, you talk about the one of the nicest people on television that I've ever met. She is as real as they come. You know, you see her on Good Morning America now. She is the most real person that I've ever met. In my all my years at ESPN, when she was at ESPN, right, right, um, and I know she had all the health issues, and and she is there's not a fake bone in her body. Yeah, that's she good. Just like the nicest person in the world. I mean, it's just that's how she is off and on. She's probably the number in my book, probably the most, at least the most real talent I've ever you know had a chance to you know speak with and and know and all that. So. That's awesome. Well, yeah. On that, on that note, I, I got to say thanks, Marty. This has been awesome. Oh, my I, pleasure, I Ross. It was a great time. For five more hours about ESPN and sports and broadcasting. Ah, and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's funny because there's there's a couple books out yeah, about ESPN and, and the old timers. There's all, I mean, my, it, it, oh, there's all kinds of stories. I mean, we could sit here for five hours talk about the stories. You know, so, so you yeah. got BTS behind the scenes with Mark Rogers coming yep. up on Monday at two yes, p.m. Sir. Eastern and. Uh, before you go, tell us about what's what's what you're working on with um, Pod Jam TV production. Sure, uh, I know you mentioned. I mean, uh, we have a, the site video chat on there. I actually am working to merge that. I'm actually hijacking that site and going to turn into BTSLive.com. I'm working. I say this every week in my show. I go, oh, I'm going to have this site BTSLive.com, and right now it's just a landing page. Uh, and I've been I've been thankful. I've been pretty busy with client work, so I'm trying to stick that in, but. Um, but yeah, we do a show every week, Monday, uh, 2 p.m. And what's great about it, and I'm going to give him a shout out because I think he's still, I don't, maybe he left. Uh, he left, so that's good. So I can just, oh no, he's here. Um, but what's great about Mondays is that we do our show two, 2 to 3 o'clock, Mark. And then at night, Stephen Haywood with the Tech Buzz comes on. He does this weekly roundup, you know. So I would suggest you check out thetechbuzz.net. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, the reason why I give him the shout out because I get all my ideas from him, I steal all my good ideas from Stephen. <laughs> Uh, he's the inspiration, so he is the standard, in my opinion. Yeah, I've seen um, you guys. I've also seen you guys uh, put that on Facebook Live, right? Yes, we're you know that's, we're. That's I, where... I, I got to get going too because I I got a, a service where I'm able to go to multiple streams at once. So Facebook <laughs> is part of that, and I just got to get my act together to do it on a regular basis. You know, so um, 
So yeah, but, uh, every week, two o'clock Eastern, we do it. And, and when we're not live, we're broadcasting, you know, sh- replays. And eventually I want to have multiple shows and I want to have a little interstitial content. I have, I have big ideas in my brain, but hopefully I can start rolling, but I want to set up the platform first and I, and I got yeah. that going. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah, uh, look all good to stuff. seeing how it develops. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks again. And I'm back on Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Dave Kirpin, uh, New York Times bestselling author, will be here to talk about his new book, The Art of People. So that's 7 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Hope to see everybody then and have a great weekend and a great rest of the week.